Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of What's the Chakkar? My name is Karan Madhok and I'm the editor and co-founder of The Chakkar. Thechakkar.com is an Indian arts review, a celebration of India's artistic creativity where we publish writing on Indian music, film, literature, theater, art, sports and more. We also publish creative work like poetry, fiction, photography, original art, etc, etc. In this episode, I will interview a number of guests on recent trends in music, literature, and film and tv from india and abroad in conversation today we have adi manral ormi bhattacharya and shasta vashnav and we will discuss singer songwriters from the indian northeast states listen to the new single by abdon mek we will dive deep into the film ak versus ak and critique both meta cinema and indian celebrity culture and we learn the podcast with a discussion on a couple of books new and old by ani zaidi and ya gyasi So strap in and let's go around the chakkar. So I'm here with Adi Manral, managing director of the chakkar and himself an indie musician and Adi uh for this month you chose a song by Abdon Mek. Yeah. Um a sort of an up and coming artist from Nagaland. Yes. And uh So before we get to Abdon's song I I I did want to talk to you a little bit more about in general the the rise of uh musicians from the northeast now obviously musicians have been killing it in the northeast for generations you know uh like the rock culture in Sikkim for example has been insane for the longest time uh, I would say probably India's greatest band and definitely India's greatest blues band soulmate yeah. is from Shillong uh but but what has happened in the last few years in particular that there there's been a lot of like really good talented uh, singer songwriters like yeah. Abdon who have come up i mean i'd be curious to know first of all like your relationship with their music and some of your favorites yeah well like like you said like a lot of uh, musicians uh, that we hear of are, are also now like you know like you you hear of musicians from northeast are accessible music is accessible mm-hmm. for everyone anywhere and that's uh, probably thanks to the digital age um there 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 are unless you were a very very big artist people wouldn't have heard you uh and and somehow we 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 see all these uh, regional barriers now being broken because of the digital age and um, and abdon mek is uh, one of those uh, uh, you know musicians who I, i actually i know him personally and i i've been a friend so i kind of uh, follow him and is have been noticing his his you know work but but you know musicians like um, taba chakke you know from arunachal he's a huge success people like uh, takar nabam again from arunachal you mentioned soulmate these are all very very big names but but again like you know uh, it's it's nice that we all have heard their music um my personal favorite once again is uh, is taba chakke great music great vibe uh, beautiful singer songwriter and um, like again it's it's all because of this whole uh, digital age and and the accessibility to music that we all have it's no more where where you know like music is only heard in a pub or in a in a music venue which used to be the case maybe 5 years ago and so we we hear a lot more music coming from the northeast which which uh, you know northeast was always uh, very very rich with with this whole culture of music 
independent artists yeah and uh, so what you one thing you mentioned that was very interesting was how the regional barriers are being broken and you know as people in the northeast would say mainland india you know we are sort right. of the mainland indians as they say um and and their music reaching us has been beneficial to both sides like we get to enjoy mm. their stories their music even when you know uh, i think it's taba chake that actually sings in regional language also yeah and so even when you don't understand the words you are you're you will vibe with it right yeah. i mean that that is the beauty of music and i remember back in the day when soulmate were just you know that soulmate have been active for 20 years or something right yeah. but it was so difficult for us pre internet i remember myself looking for their music and i could not find their music anywhere it was like you know you find snippets of their performances on youtube right uh so it's 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 been really awesome to see uh that progression now where artists like abdon artists like tawachaki art the other artists you mentioned uh are able to get the word out get the sound out um So speaking of the sound do you see any sort of differentiating um influences of artists from different regions in northeast like you know someone from nagaland compared to someone from arunachal someone from sikkim uh i mean at the end of the day you you have always been about people music of the hills you've sort of seen it under one umbrella right people from the, the hill hill areas in india definitely have their own vibe whether it's the hills in uttarakhand where you live over there is the hills in arunachal pradesh so far away but similar vibes right uh, but in your opinion the music that that's coming out from northeast what influences do you see on their work i don't think it's going to it's it's any different from music uh, coming from bangalore but it's just that you know some some of these artists are just really good mm-hmm. um i you can tell when abdon uh, makes his music that you know he's taking um, inspiration from a lot of john mayer music and and you know like he's he's a talented guitar player and and um, he fuses the, the those sorts of melodies with his own sense of uh, you know like right like his writing he reflects his own innocent way of writing mm-hmm. and uh, and and again like you know soulmate like you know it it stands with any uh, any any strong blues band in in like not just india but you know you compare them to any any international band and they they they're out there mm. Now speaking more specifically of Abdon Mac whose uh, new song you've chosen for our song of the month. Uh you mentioned you know him personally you have played with him before. Tell me a little bit about him and uh why has his rise in particular been so much of interest to you and of you know uh, I think he has been he's really made his name among uh singer songwriters in the mainstream now. Uh, yeah. So 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 what is it about his particular brand of music about his rise in prominence that has been uh, of interest to you i think he's uh, one of those guys to watch out or should be in your radar right now um you know he's conscious uh, of the fact that he wants his music to reach out um you know as far as possible and and he knows like you know uh, his his following is growing in in um, you know ma- mainstream india like we say you know, mainland india and because i've been noticing his 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 you know his efforts and the rise it's it's been nice to see all of that because each one of us in the in the scene are are trying different things you know like we we are trying to uh, build build a little bit of following that we can and uh, he is very dedicated to what he does like uh, he is he's a very good guitarist he religiously you know follows john mayer 
his style and and the music like he he picks up his songs also i've heard that he he follows a lot of uh, bruno mars just seeing how much effort he puts in into everything he does uh not uh, like this is his first official uh, you know song that he he has re- released you mean his uh, first um, his uh, first single could be first because single. he's had songs out uh, yeah f- he, for he's had, years, he's yeah. had a song uh, out before and this is this marks the first song of his ep that okay. would be released and um, but but he has uh, like like you said like you know you already heard of his music because he consistently uh, released music whether it's uh, you know shot by a, a professional or not he didn't care mm-hmm. he took his phone he made the most of the lockdown period and and kept making music kept doing things uh, recorded all of this in his uh, bedroom sent worked with people in delhi who could mix and master it and uh, you know and and when you hear all of the products that are coming out it's nice and refreshing um now is his music mostly in english does does he sing in naga as well is is it all no no this is all english like okay. all 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 of his music is mm-hmm. is english so i'm not sure i i i have heard that he did something in hindi as well okay yeah so he does experiment as well but but uh, most of his core music is all english and and good guitar uh, melodies Well, speaking of good guitar melodies, let's let's talk about the the track, the track you've chosen for this month. Uh, what's the song called, Daddy? The song is "Give Me My Soul Back," and when you when you do listen to the song, you you will get a get a vibe of you know a John Mayer. I think slowly he will be able to. Uh, the more we listen to his music, the more uh, he will be able to create his own uh, genre and and the uh, and his style of music. So uh, here we go. Here's this new track. his first uh, single as you said adi uh, by abdon mek and it's called give me my soul back. give me my soul back Give me my soul back. 
give me my soul back. Give me my soul back. Give me my soul back. excited to have uh, for the first time on the what's a chakkar podcast urmi bhattacharya urmi urmi is an independent journalist who has of course contributed to us on the chakkar a lot uh, urmi how are you doing i'm doing well hi karan how are you uh, i'm great and thank you so much for joining us for this this episode um, you recently wrote about ak versus ak and hmm. what it means for meta cinema in bollywood and yeah. you you touch on a lot of interesting themes about meta cinema of celebrity culture and stuff like that yeah. which it it feels like a black hole in in indian celebrity industry or indian film industry sir ek film ki kahani sunani sir aapko sonam kapoor lapata hai aapko usse dhoondna hai subah suraj ugne tak isme jo bhi hoga asli aap use khojoge asli aapko chot lagegi wo bhi asli aap roge to wo bhi asli aap hasoge to wo bhi ज trying to say and trying to do etc so i think from a, a screen screenplay perspective i possibly didn't enjoy it as much as i should have but i did like the fact that this was the first of its kind that i had seen in a while so i think that clouded my sort of judgment of the film a little bit 
but at a very basic kind of just sitting through and liking the film and just you know being hooked etc was not as much as i thought it could be so yeah yeah That's... i had a i had a similar reaction to that i really enjoyed the the conceit of the film it was so yeah. so much fun to see anil kapoor play an exaggerated version of anil kapoor i know yeah play an exaggerated version of 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 himself really and you know yeah. we'll get to how like the real is meeting real as as news like anurag kashyap has been in the news again yeah. you know uh, just over yeah. these, as we recorded correct yeah so it's it's fascinating on, on that level what this film means like i remember i had, yeah. to, i had to call my friends and be like did you see this like they 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 kidnapped sonam kapoor quote and quote kidnapped yeah um, yeah and, and they made a film out of it so to say so so on that level i also found it the the conceit entertaining um yeah but it, it it does do as you mentioned something that has i would say never been done in 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 cinema mm-hmm. can you think mm-hmm. of examples in the past where a celebrity has put themselves out there in an exaggerated version of themselves or basically are playing themselves on screen in this way you know if you mean uh, the hindi film industry yeah. almost nothing i can't think of a single example from here uh where we've had somebody sort of playing themselves or playing even an exaggerated version of themselves the closest that i could come to while i was researching the piece was perhaps sharuk playing two characters in the past billu i believe and the other was fan but they were still they were still not him like you knew that it wasn't sharuk khan like of course in billu he was just this you barely saw his characteristics he was just this star so that was as close as he got to who he really is as a star and at the time sharuk was a star i think right now his stardom is slightly waning i know that's controversial to say but it is <laughs> and uh, then there's a fan where i think he was slightly closer to who he is perhaps and he had this stalker persona so he played two versions of something that perhaps he may have experienced himself or perhaps the actors in india the the sort of um, you know the milieu that they kind of grew up in and develop in perhaps that's something he's experienced but you still knew that it wasn't sharuk khan like he was able to distance himself enough from the character to say this is a particular actor and i am playing him but in this i really like the fact that they were themselves but you know like i uh, wrote in the piece you still kind of went into it with the idea that they're still playing A, a really over the top version of themselves so in some sense you know that that's a way for them to sort of step back and be like like if as the viewer you're thinking ha huh, this must be what anil kapoor is really like or what sonam kapoor is really like it's a little exaggerated to the point where you're like oh no no they can't be that bad they couldn't possibly be that arrogant etc so i think they do do that bit of alienation for you So at some point, I hope it's it's a good starting point. But I hope they're able to bridge that gap a little bit more for us. You know, where we're really confused. That is this him? Is this not him? So now, yeah. Now AK versus AK. We should have probably mentioned this earlier. It was directed by Vikram Aditya Motwane. Who's like you know? Yeah. I would say one of like the more talented young directors out there. And it, it was kind of yeah. fitting that he took this uh, chance. And I, I think in your in your essay, you um, you write a lot about. uh uh harshwardhan kapoor anil kapoor's son yeah. the less successful yeah, yeah. child yeah. it made me so yeah. <laughs> it was one of those films where i'm wikipedia searching kapoor chal yeah. like how many do they have is harshwardhan really done <laughs> anything how is sonam like that much yeah. more successful you know yeah. um, 
so um, the reason I, I bring up uh, Motwani is because he uh, filmed uh, Bhavesh Joshi superhero yeah. uh, with with uh, yeah. Harshwardhan, which was a flop. And uh, yeah. I don't know anything about Harshwardhan. I, I I barely I, was, yeah. I, I haven't seen any film of his. Yeah. Were you surprised by his sort of kind of hilarious cameo in this film? Yeah. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I I've only seen like bits and pieces of him. I've seen perhaps a couple of interviews, but I really enjoyed the fact that he put himself out there in the way that he did, knowing the fact that he's the lesser known sort of Kapoor Sion if you will and mm-hmm. not very many people have seen the few films that he's done. So to kind of uh, play the person that he did when he's talking about the fact that he's had flop films and he of course references motwane where he says you know motwane really yeah. did me in and that film did nothing for me it was really enjoyable and he was just like he played this really sort of uh, zany person where he just you know got out of his element and he was like shaking things and just uh, uh, he i thought was just the most fun cameo that i watched in the film and uh, yeah like i mentioned the only thing you know that was of course a little jarring after that is when you know uh, you have him kind of go on social media to address the fact that he did this in the film mm. and therefore it not be taken seriously so yeah that was the one aspect they didn't really um i guess again because this is the first time they're doing it so we're giving you a bit of a pass i guess but they didn't they didn't really perfect yeah. the performance art aspect of this like they should have really gone yeah. all in with the Twitter beef yeah. was really real, right? Um, yeah. I want to go back to something you mentioned about the, uh, the Shah Rukh Khan films, a fan and Billu Barber. There, there was another yeah. Shah Rukh Khan film where he touched the periphery of being a star of stardom in Om Shanti Om, mm-hmm. where yeah, we had that, correct. where yes. you know, uh, the second half of Om Shanti Om, where he's 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 winning an award and then he's thanking yeah. everyone and Salman Khan is there yeah. in the audience. And I remember yeah, one, yeah. one of the more entertaining uh, parts of that film were. when they have the other nominees who are who have been nominated yeah. for for a film fair award right yes yes and, i remember and it was basically yeah. actors playing actors and actresses playing exaggerated exaggerated version of themselves um, yeah and then there's that song which is basically the song at every indian shaadi uh, where yeah. every like there's like whatever a, a record 50 stars show up and they do a dance so i think that flirted with the idea of sort of a meta cinema another film that yeah. i it just popped in my head as you were speaking was uh, love mm. by chance and if you've seen love yeah Chats, which was yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. An, uh zoya akhtar i think directed that yeah another film about um young actors making it in the industry yeah i felt that did uh, i mean now that is fully fictional there was no meta yeah metaness in it but i think that mm. is the closest to me or or at least the most intelligent sort of uh I agree. it came to talking about the culture of um industry uh, insiders right um, yeah i wanted to ask i think one of the most more interesting things you wrote about was how this film risked removing the pr machinery from bollywood mm. because the, mm. the there's so much pr control over these guys that is hard yeah. to know what's real and what's not real so um, yeah. i would like you to talk a bit, little bit more about that what it meant to you to have uh, to see a little bit beyond uh, these stars a little bit without the pr scene yeah i think it's uh, it's unsettling right like if you grow up in india uh, watching these people play various characters on screen and then go on to of course there's a pre promotion and then there's a post promotion and you see them in this sort of almost 
demigod like aura that's kind of created for us and that they also play off of because they know that that's how you sort of thrive in this sort of um, culture of cinema where we kind of go and we want to believe that there is a certain way we really want to believe that uh, and like a salman khan kind of uh, you know just walks off screen and he is this bhai prototype and that sharukh's a certain way or that you know any of the any of the actors are very close to the characters that they play so it was interesting that they did that while also kind of not stepping back and being like i i am this actor and i am i am not this person etc so they didn't actively do that they didn't directly tell us that you know this is not me like you of course inferred that and there is that gap etc but they were i mean there was nobody uh, during the promotion of the film particularly their team in fact even his team was in the film which i really enjoyed uh anil kapoor's team and anurag kashyap's team so that was nicely done i thought that they also got some sort of play there uh, and they kind of just let it happen and uh, i feel like here more than perhaps in the west where people can get away a little bit with walking into a cafeteria and not be mobbed or stalked the way that people here are um the fact that they kind of didn't address the fact that this is not us and this is a film that we've done and they just let the film kind of release and say nothing about it at the time was really impressive i really enjoyed that because that was of course a risk and i think it's a risk that they knew they were taking especially because i mean we can sit back and say that they should take the risk more often and they should sort of let this shine and glitz and glamour kind of fall off but we also know that it's kind of hard for us to accept people that way like just as a culture kind of growing up seeing these actors we like to believe that they're a certain way and when they're not we we're very happy to write them off we're very happy to kind of uh, you know speak about the most condemnable aspects possible we don't like to believe they're human hmm. at all so um yeah i just feel like this was a nice first step perhaps it was a gamble perhaps kashyap wanted to see or motwani wanted to see how far this could go and uh, here's hoping that it goes further than this you know it's um, i mean i mentioned about the performance art aspect of it earlier i almost feel that being a celebrity in india is in itself a performance art like everything you carry yeah. as you mentioned salman khan has to be the bhai persona everybody goes sanjay that yeah. you, you started your article by talking about uh, khalnayak and his like terrorism yeah. back in the day but he, he, even he him uh, evolving from that persona to the munna bhai persona it it yeah. wasn't just him evolving on screen it was him evolving in his yeah. personality and his interviews and yeah. and everything so so i i you know it's our celebrities take themselves way too seriously in india very <laughs> and and it was and, uh, and like say. yeah sorry please go on no no, no i'm i'm just saying it was it was refreshing to see yeah. them sort of re- uh, remove the curtain remove the makeup so to say of their face and, yeah. and be be as, not real but whatever be be yeah. more human as close as they could perhaps and like you mentioned like you know with sanjay dad and with all these actors often they're able to use cinema to also mold this image of themselves because they know that the audience believes what they see on screen mostly uh, you know with sanjay dad this evolution from khalnayak to munna bhai was something that he crafted through his team of directors or people he was close to with salman khan to you know when he was going through the slew of court cases outside he was able to do these films where he is this larger than life person who's like fighting the baddies 
and he's always the good guy and he almost never does a role anymore where he's in any way not this macho version you know like he has to be this really like overdone kind of uh, masculine you know sort of overdone version of himself and he's never not that anymore so i think they kind of played off the fact that things aren't going to great in real life so let's see how we can improve our image on screen and of course salman has that whole being human machinery also going for him so they've always used cinema and used this art as a trope to perfect their own performance art like you say and you to kind of build that image and that persona of themselves in the eyes of the audience so in this case there wasn't much of that and so i mean anurag kashyap who's one of the ak's in the film you know he is yeah. uh, he, I, I, i won't say he's an industry outsider because obviously he's got connections everywhere but yeah. he he has taken risks in the mainstream the way no director in the mainstream has had in india over the last 20 years or so so it didn't surprise yeah. me that much to see anurag kashyap be the one of the stars of this film even though his acting yeah. is kind of you know questionable whatever like yeah. just put himself out there but i want to finish this conversation with an appreciation for anil kapoor now anil kapoor yeah. has been in the public eye for decades 40 years whatever mm. <laughs> i don't know how many movies he's made you know back yeah. from mr india ram lakhan all the way to yeah. you know crossing over to making um hollywood films i think one of my favorite um, moments in this in the film was when he's saying he's on the phone with tom and he doesn't specify yeah. which tom he's saying wala tom you know right 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 yeah it, it's all like he's like kind of making fun of himself when he's when he's doing that so yeah. i i think anil kapoor it, it, the reason a lot of uh, indian actors don't do this is because of what you said they have this persona to protect you know the, yeah whereas for anil kapoor to take off this persona and mm. to put himself in a position where he actually did some excellent excellent acting in this movie it was yeah. it was truly amazing to watch um yeah. was, was was really fun you know he's always been a yeah. nice uncle and it was really fun to see that <laughs> uh, so i don't know yes. like, uh, what were your takeaways from um, i mean i would like to know first of all like your relationship with anil kapoor as an actor over the years and then mm. finally what was your takeaway after watching ak versus ak Yeah um you know Anil Kapoor has always been really fun to watch on screen I think no matter what I watch perhaps he has this kind of face I'm not sure like he looks like somebody you know yeah you know he uh, he's he's got this really white smile he has this mustache he's always looked the same like no matter what he's played over time he has a shape that of, he reminds me of like at least six of my uncles like his like yeah. his, his uncle jokes and his smile like they're all about correct, correct. <laughs> yeah like even when he's promoting a film he comes up with those jokes that you've heard like a billion times at some <laughs> shaadi somewhere so he's he's always really pleasant to watch and he's pleasant in whatever you know whatever character he plays whatever role he plays he's really fun and in this too i thought that he he knows the fact that he's been one of those one of the very few bollywood actors who've made it to hollywood and done this one bit role somewhere and this one cameo and the fact that he played that up because he knows that the media stalked about it and of course we talk about their failures to sort of cross over so to speak so he brought that in and he talked about you know slum dog and then you know he's on the call to tom and we only assume it's tom cruise or tom hanks or whatever so it was really fun and he even when he's just really angry and frustrated another uh, scene that i really liked is when you know that uh, Uh, the people are kind of watching him on stage and he asks for their help and they say we'll help you if you dance for us and he's doing that same dance that he's done for us the audience 
for like three decades, you know, where he's going Ram Lakhan, etc. But in this, you see that he's angry and he's frustrated and he doesn't want to do it anymore. I thought that must be really close to how he perhaps feels, you know, on occasion when he's going to TV shows and people are asking him to dance and do that same step. So I thought that they, it almost felt like he may have had a conversation with Motwani at some point, you know, so I like that he used a lot of, a lot of aspects of his life that felt really real and relatable to me. And uh, like you said, he acted really well too. That was my favorite part in the film. Um, for, I read about yeah. it first in your essay and then so I was awaiting it, um, the Ram Lakhan dance. And it was it was yeah. wonderful. As you said, he, he he was dancing as if his life depended on it, but also that he's, yeah. he's been like, you know, he's been, he's he's a show monkey, you know, like all his life. Yeah, he's, he's been absolutely having to never be, he's never been able to take off that mask and be a normal person. Yeah. So even when he's hunting, hunting for his daughter, he has to be a show monkey. So that yeah. scene, that sort of uh, that scene, and and the song is something we've all grown up on, so we know it. Um, it, it was I, I think that's the moment that he should send to the award ceremony for like the, yeah. for his next film prayer award or whatever. Probably uh, yes. Uh, well, and then use that in a film where he plays himself. That <laughs> would be, be fun. Meta uh, and meta. <laughs> um, well, I really want to thank you for like helping break down and discuss this film with me. I really want to talk to this film about. Uh, I really want to talk to someone about this film and uh, yeah. you, you really helped out with this. Uh, Ormi, before we let you go, you uh, yeah. recently heard some great news and I would love for you to share it on our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Karan. Uh, so I've been working on a book. Uh, as you know, I'm an independent journalist before which I was you know, gender editor at this publication called The Quint. And uh, during that time, you know, the five, six years, and the years since I've just been uh, reporting on survivors of sexual violence. And I'm always, I've always been very interested in what happens after we stop reporting on them, you know, after the uh, cameras move away, after we finished filming the documentaries and the headlines just sort of, you know, fade away and just sensationalism sort of disappears. So I, I followed five survivors for my book where I spoke to them. I spent several days, months, years actually with several of them charting their lives after basically their psyche what the family life is like what their sex lives are like uh, what uh, going to court day in and day out over years knowing that a very close resolution isn't at hand yet is like so it's basically a story uh, uh, it's a book that kind of looks at these stories from as close as I could get to them and as close as they would have me and uh, that book's being published by Pan Macmillan and it comes out in a few weeks, in about two or three weeks is what I'm told. So that's, uh, yeah, so that's, that's great. That's something that I'm look for, looking forward to. And, and, uh, yeah. I, I, th I think it might, the release of the book might time well with the release of this episode. We're also planning to release in a couple of weeks. So uh, I really hope people check it out. It sounds fascinating. Uh, what's the title of the book? It's called After I Was Raped. After I Was Raped. So... I mean, yeah. heavy topic, but super necessary topic. Urmi, thank you for the research you've done. Um, and thank you for talking about something that's obviously on a very light spectrum, uh, relatively, um, with us today on, yeah. this, on this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, no, it was so enjoyable. I love discussing the film with you. Like, obviously, we've, we've had some similar favorite moments. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've both grown up watching cinema, you know, the kind of cinema that Indian kids do 
so we have so many similar frames of reference so it's always great to watch something like this right that's a little different from yeah. what we see I, I i would also recommend you guys to check out the article the essay on the chakkar uh, on ak versus ak just just google it you'll find it uh ormi thank you so much for joining us on this episode and uh, i wish you luck for your endeavors ahead thank you so much karan thank you thank you for having me Happy to welcome back Shasta Vaishnav on the What's the Chakkar podcast. Shasta, how are you? Hi, Karan. Hi, Karan. I'm happy to be here as usual. Uh, very excited to talk about today's book. Um, but I would love to hear about your reading first. Yeah. Uh, so great to see you. The, the the book I chose. So it's interesting. I think the last time we spoke, we may I, I don't quite remember if we spoke on record or off record, but we spoke about um, the Jaipur Lit Fest, which was being done virtually yes. this year. Um, yes. and uh by the time you guys hear i mean by the time you guys hear this episode it would be far from over i think it was held now almost a month ago uh mm. and i had this whole plan to you know i mean if it was going to be <laughs> in person i was going to attend and my plan was to uh, actually i was i was doing a story on uh, prelude to a riot by by annie zaidi uh, which has been right. one of the best received one of the best reviewed indian books in recent years I don't know. Have you have you heard about this this book? No, I've heard about her, of course. Yes. Uh, because I'm a fan of her father's writing as well. Okay. Um, but uh, I would love to hear more about it. Yeah, so, so Prelude to a Riot won the JCB Prize for Literature, which is one of India's you know uh, top literary awards. So my my hope was to actually like interact with her and speak to her about the story. Unfortunately, that couldn't happen because uh, the digital JLF did not have the same sort of reach. in terms of like connecting um, people with authors that that the in person event used to have but anyways i i thought what the hell this is a great book to read i'm going to read this book and i'm i'm, I'm going to talk about this book uh, so here it is to lead to a right mm-hmm. and is i did so okay. very it's a tiny book it's really short it's like less than um, i would say it's around 150 180 pages and 180 quick pages because the story is written in sort of vignettes um, it's very poetic you can tell that the author is a half poet for sure Um, okay i'll just give a short summary it's um, sure. as you can tell by the, the the title does a lot of heavy lifting for this for this book you know okay. because okay. because there isn't really any uh any actual violence on page but you can feel the violence just at you you're, you're almost there you are the you are the precipice of violence just it's just mm-hmm. around the corner um It's an unnamed town in somewhere in South India where uh, three generations of family live. Um, one family is Hindu, one family is Muslim, and they happen to be on the forefront of the simmering tensions in the town. Um, tensions that pretty much root back, you know, age-old and animosities between religion in India, between the us and the them, uh, people who own land, people who covet land. Um, so Zaidi writes a story in like very short poetic vignettes, as I mentioned, uh, and she uses the voices of multiple characters with multiple motivations. um so there's you know and then basically what she does is that with so many different motivations these characters are stretching the narrative in their own direction right so it almost reaches to that breaking point um they are school children who are both hindu and muslim and they are witnessing the growth of communal mistrust among like the elders the the elders that are stoking the fire there's some elders who are hoping to extinguish the fire you know um th- th- there's a important female character I'll get into her later who connects the uneasy waters between you know caste class community uh their uh, the voices of 
uh, newspaper editor, the voice of poets who are, who are writing to this newspaper, the voices of people who are annoyed by the poetry. Um, th- there's a heavy drinking teacher who's uh, one of the best characters, Garuda, who, who who sort of hopes that his like he's a history teacher in this school who hopes that like you know his lesson will sort of impart some sense of history to the next generation before they can succumb to like the forces of hate. Um, so yeah, I mean one of the challenges of telling any sort of great Indian story, you know, I I spoken about the White Tiger last month and the White Tiger yeah. as I think one of my criticisms of the White Tiger. as much as you know we celebrate that book was how it was very specifically targeted to the foreign audience um and one of the challenges is for someone like anis aidi to write this book which is not trying to over target the foreign audience as trying to tell an indian story from indian voices um it's it's that it still has to be somewhat translatable to foreign readers we don't want to re- tell a story that foreigners just don't understand you know there's there's so much com- complexities of india that you know our our religions economic distress class differences caste differences environmental situations political situations you know it's hard to fit that all into one narrative um you know as, as i wrote this in my review of the of the novel a few weeks ago that you know as indians we are almost we we take this burden of history almost for granted because we just understand it uh, instinctively you know we grew, we, we grew up in it you know we are shaded with the past even if we don't recognize it we just know about it you know and a good novel about india can sort of attempt to condense these complexities but it, it it could become a history lesson you know in a way yeah um, yeah true so i'll 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 get to how she dealt with that challenge a bit later uh, i do want to note uh, one of the you know how uh, zaidi uses specifically the story's female characters this devki this maryam farida bhavna and they end up becoming the bridge between communities you know um some of them want to build bridges some of them want to break the bridges uh devaki for instance she has rebelled against her family and tradition already you know by marrying someone outside of caste and she's attempting mm-hmm. to now balance her ambitions with the views on with the town's rising tensions um mm-hmm. so her challenge uh, th- this is a part of quote in in my uh, review which i will uh, repeat here it's one of the sort of most interesting few sentences in the novel her challenge is really to like unlearn the shackles of the past right So Zaidi writes, "Appa would say that college was putting dung inside my head. I would say no. College was taking the dung out of my head. On and on, me versus him. Three hundred years worth of stories clogging up the arteries of our men, sitting tight around our hearts, slimy and thick with half truths. It makes the dinner table noxious." So wow. now, although yeah. we don't explicitly see. any violence as i mentioned uh, we feel this noxious air you know spreads from dinner table to dinner table family to family and devki's act of unlearning this rebellion or of this unlearned rebellion seems to be too little against this great force of you know um like india's historical anger yeah um, yeah um wow. the the last thing i would add about this book from my end is that um the history lesson i th- i would say this is my one one criticism it it can get a bit overbearing So, so Garuda, the teacher in particular, he's almost serving as a mouthpiece to teach. He's he's teaching the readers, in his own opinion, th- th- this is the colonial history. This is the history between different um, communities in India, and obviously, right. it's history taught in beautiful language, full of metaphor, full of poetic um, uh, diction. You know, lots of double meaning, um, but it's sort of still, you know, every appearance of this teacher is sort of laden with such passages of exposition. and it ends up sounding more like the author's words instead of the character's words 
So I would say that was one sort of part that slowed the narrative down a little bit for me. But otherwise, uh, it, it is a beautiful book. It's a short, beautiful. Uh, I I don't know uh, if it's considered novella. Novella is supposed to be, I think, less than a hundred pages, but it is a short novel, and uh, it is a very beautiful novel. Wow, that's really well described, Kanan. I really feel like picking it up and reading it right now. And it's it, you've really condensed it into a, a great description. I feel like a great summary of what it really stands for. Um, so what i read is also funnily enough about identity and about uh, you know all of this what leads to the uh, what lead what led to where we are today in terms of the uh, racism and everything that we're going through as a global you know uh, population so it's called uh, home going by yagyasi and uh, this is yagyasi's first novel she took 7 years to write it and we can see why so i will give you a little bit of a summary here yeah. so it is it is over about 10 generations uh, so it's about these two sisters who sort of get separated at birth uh, or rather they're not separated at birth they are from the same mother but um they never know they don't know of each other's existence in that sense like you know so one of the sisters basically is a slave she becomes a slave and the other one somehow becomes a slave trader's wife Huh. and it goes on yeah it goes on from there and the way she's done it is absolutely insanely like amazing because she has uh literally condensed each person's life into a short story and the book is made up of say like 10 or 15 short stories of each person's life which is ultimately connected so it's not a book of short stories it's it's a novel but it's so beautifully um written because each person's life is very very memorable and i can't help but draw parallels to this other uh, book i've read and a uh, girl woman other hmm. by uh, bernardine uh, everisto so um there also she talks about various generations of women most of them are black most of them you know are like dealing with their own uh, you know struggles and everything like that but there i i wouldn't say each of her characters is very memorable in yagyasi's book each character is very memorable so we go from like let's say sister one uh, sister one's uh, descendant to sister two's descendant back to sister one back to sister two back to sister one and so through the generations we see each of the descendants and how at the end of it they all come together wow. or the descendants sort of come together and in this she has managed to cover every struggle almost every struggle that black people have gone through since the middle ages so we're talking about tribal struggles like in africa in in ghana it's set in in uh, ghana we're talking about like um we're talking about like from this like the slave trade how the africans themselves or how the black the ghanians themselves were responsible for capturing people in their villages and selling them right to the to the british slave traders so we're talking about that we're talking about once they're sold what happens to them then they go to america so we're talking about the cotton picking and all what we would associate with slavery like you know the whole cotton picking whipping and all of that so that is taken plus the people who are as the as the as time goes by people start living in cities so how their lives are in harlem in new york and there how they are ostracized against because they're black or even like they are imprisoned the way they still are unfortunately they are imprisoned for the smallest thing for years on end and then they are taken to mines and coal coal mines and then they are meant to work in the made to work in the coal mines and it's like 
literally every spectrum, every spectrum of suffering that a black person, that one can imagine a black person has gone through and their ancestors have gone through is covered in this novel. And beautifully, memorably, in each chapter, it sort of comes through, you know, like you can, you, you're there, you're right there in the coal mines with somebody, you're right there in the cotton fields with somebody else. And you're, you know, it's just beautifully uh, described. And each person is connected in such a way that because you remember so clearly about the ancestor, then you realize how that, how they come into this person's life, etc. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just wonderful. And uh, of course, Yagyasi has made some very compelling observations as well. Like um, one of my favorite ones is about history. And I'm just going to uh, open that up. But uh, I would definitely recommend this book if anyone is uh, interested in black voices um, and in like very authentic black voices and not uh, like because Yagyasi herself has come from Ghana she's her ancestors have you know uh, uh, been in coal mines been slaves so it's it's, it's she's talking from a very uh, uh, what's the word like yeah she's she knows what she's saying it, so um, it, seems, it seems very inspired by Roots. Have you have you read Roots or have you heard of the book Roots? I have read. I have heard of it. And yeah. uh, the thing is, my mom, my mother said this uh, too when I told yeah. her about it because she has uh, she is a fan of Roots and it's, she's seen the TV series and read okay. the book and everything. Yeah. it is a bit like Roots. It is a bit like Roots. Uh, but, but I guess instead of uh, one narrative, uh, we are getting multiple different stories, as you've mentioned. Yes, yes. So, uh, um, yeah, like we literally look at, we, we look at everything, right? From like Ghana to Harlem to, mm -hmm. to like to 17th century to now. Mm -hmm. There are so many viewpoints in this mm -hmm. book, you know, it's really lovely. So the quote I wanted to share was, um, uh, she's, she says, um, we believe the one who has power. He is the one who gets to write the story. So when you study history, you must ask yourself, whose story am I missing? Whose voice was suppressed so that this voice could come forth? Once you have figured that out, you must find that story too. From there, you get a clearer, yet still imperfect picture. So, you know, she's really made a point about history, about how all of this is even told like it's all of us we all we know is from the white person's perspective mostly yep. like right from the tribes and we don't know what happened and how it was and mm -hmm. the way she's spoken about rituals and mindsets and it's just fabulous and she's covered a lot like she's even covered the queer community and how it was to be queer in those days and mm -hmm. you know it's just it's it's very interesting and it's one of those books that really makes me feel like it it reminds me why I wanted to write because it's a page turner at the same time it's deep it's talking about something very important and it's very memorable mm -hmm. like I remember each person's story wow. you know because it's so disparate one girl is a tribal who's a rebellious type who doesn't want to stay there one man is a coal miner one person is a is literally a slave lying one on top of the other so everything is very memorable you know so it's, I would say it yeah, seems sorry. like such an ambitious uh, idea, but also such an organic idea. You know, uh, as I'd mentioned, the 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 roots comparison also it, it, similar. I, I felt the same thing reading roots, where this is so ambitious because this is literally a fictionalized version of his his own life, his own ancestral history. Um, yes. But at the same time, to to actually pull it off and to 
like Ruth's Home Going, of course, became one of the most celebrated novels of the year and continues to be so celebrated, right? So, like, yes. to, actually, to actually pull it off, to actually succeed is, you know, uh, deserves the kudos. So, so what made you uh, specifically, uh, I mean, and, and I won't say pick it up now because great books should be picked up at any given point. But, but was there any particular uh, sort of driving force as you were reading this book that, that made you think like this is sp- specifically important right now, 2020, 2021? Definitely, because obviously, I mean, going by the American context, racism is still a huge, huge problem, right? Like till today, people are being arrested for very little and, you know, given like these long sentences for nothing. And there's that's constant comparison, right? Like if you see the there was this white privilege uh, ad that made uh, white kids and black kids stand together and then the white kids were asked to take a step every time a relevant question was asked like have you have you even taken a trip abroad or have you do you go to a private school and the the gap is so wide the all the black kids were behind so it's systemic right and it still carries on till today and so that's one of the reasons why this book is very relevant and number two is because I enjoyed girl women others so much and this was really like uh, you know, always compared in that sense, there were always parallels drawn. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, if I love that so much, then I would pro- probably like this as well. Yeah. So, and I did, I, I think I liked it more even if that's wow. possible. So Girl, Woman, Other was a lot more contemporary. It was a lot more like now, now woke cultural handbook kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. This is a lot more about history and you know, what happened. So the amount of research that has gone into this book is really, really crazy. Like, because there's so many countries covered, there are so many types of different professions and different lineages and, you know, uh, this, there's a lot. So it's a lot packed into one novel. So, yeah, but I would definitely recommend it. And when you say, um, I, I, I'll take the opportunity to tie it back into what I read, a lot packed into one novel, because uh, these are, again, I, I feel that the threads that connected are, you know, very disparate works, were that they were stories told I mean, yours is obviously a more historic story, while as the one I read was more contemporary. But they were told through multiple eyes, through multiple yes. voices, and just yes. to pull that off in in one novel is is already like a, a striking achievement. But also to then you know, sort of tell historical truths in one narrative. You know, um, that yes, sometimes you know the, the weight of history can feel too much. But then to tell a story about the weight of history kind of makes that weight a little bit easier to bear. Um, yes. So, and I feel that the, both the authors that we picked today were able to pull that off. Um, Definitely. And what I liked about Yagyasi is that nowhere do we feel like the author's talking. Very few mm, places. Mm-hmm. Because she makes each character very, very memorable and very different from the other, you know. So, like, you can really tell uh, none of them really blend into the other, you know, which is what I really enjoyed. But you're, yeah, you're right. It's like history told from very different perspectives and making an impact in that sense. Well, uh, that's great to hear. So, the, so I'll just go over the books again. The book I read was Annie's ID's Prelude to a Riot. And Chester, you read Yagyasi's Home Going. Uh, yes. Two award-winning books from two different cultures. Great books. I would suggest you guys to check them both out if you can. Uh, Chester, thank you again for joining and I'll see you next month. Thank you so much. My pleasure as always. A big thank you to all the guests for joining us today and of course to all the listeners who have tuned in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. 
please check us out on thechakkar.com and we are on facebook on instagram and twitter at @thechakkar until next time chakkar ghumte raho